Um, pastor's out of town today. I think he'll be back later today or something. So, uh, again, you're, uh, you, you get me. So, um, uh, we're, uh, we've been kind of working our way through the attributes of God, and, and um, the uh, one we're going to touch on next, we, we took a look at God's, God's mercy and, um, and his goodness the last, last couple weeks. Um, I was kind of laughing. You, you'll, you know, I, I like to give pastor a hard time. He, his, uh, his last message was, I think, four words. He restores my soul, and he, he did a whole message on it. So, so that's good. Um, uh, on Wednesday night, he was, he's going through Thessalonians, and he got to rejoice evermore. And I was going to give him a hard time and say, I'm surprised you tackled that at the end of last message. I figured that'd be a whole message for you to rejoice evermore. So... Um, <laughs> But uh, so it, uh, the, the point is, is, is you think of Psalm 23, 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I was kind of laughing. You know, he's, he's in Psalm 23a right now. He'll, he'll maybe eventually get there sometime next year from 23, 6. But, but uh, no, that, that's good. It's, uh, that walk through the Psalms is good. So, so again, I just, as a means of kind of getting me back into it here, I, I just like to kind of recap what we've gone through, that some truths about God's goodness. Um, and, and again, you know, I was thinking about it uh, this week as I, as I was kind of finalizing my PowerPoint. That's kind of the last thing I usually do um, when I'm putting together a message. But, you know, a lot of these uh, truths about God's goodness can really apply to any, each and every one of his attributes, frankly. But um, it's just different things that, that I've pulled out through uh, uh, different verses or whatever. So we see that God's goodness was the standard. His, it was expressed in his other attributes. Um, we see that God's goodness is abundant in the fact that in Exodus 34, it says the Lord is God is merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in, good and, in goodness and truth. We see that his goodness is universal here as well, too. And ultimately, that his goodness uh, should motivate worship. Again, truths about God's mercy, some of them pretty similar, very parallel. Uh, We think of God's mercy endures forever. Again, God is a God of eternal life, one of his attributes. So all of these attributes truly endure forever. Again, I just tried to pull off, you know, put together these truths based on different verses that we find here uh, in the Word of God. So um, ultimately, his mercy is full and abundant. His mercy is rich. We saw that in in Ephesians chapter 2, God who is rich in mercy. Um, We saw that his mercy is shown with his redemptive plan of salvation to a lost and dying world. And that passage in Lamentations 3 that talks about God's mercies are new every morning and don't we see that um, if, if you if you wake up every morning you can see God's mercies are new every morning and again his mercy should motivate praise and service to him so again all of these attributes uh, are, are kind of tied together I was talking with somebody about that uh, just recently and, and it's hard to it's really hard to get a grasp on the attributes of God so I'm certainly this certainly is no exhaustive study it's just it's something that you know the Lord has has the spirit has kind of revealed through me kind of looking at different passages in the word of God and um, I, I guess we can just be encouraged by it hopefully so um, today what we want to do is we want to take a look at uh, the wisdom of God and the title of our lesson today is the only wise God taken from that passage in 1 Timothy uh, 1.17. There's a kid's song uh, that goes along with it. And, um, you know, we, we, we sing that kid's song in, in the, some of the youth classes, but it talks about the, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You, you recite or you sing that, that verse in, in 1 Timothy 1. So I guess to start, let's uh, open up our Bibles to turn to 1 Kings, just as kind of a means to, to get into God's wisdom and we think about First Kings chapter 3, and we'll start in verse 7. But if you think about who was the wisest person ever, ever to live, so we think about wisdom, and what does, what does the world uh, say, or, or what is the earthly perspective on wisdom and knowledge and understanding? And we think about just even very wise people, or you, you can even think about Plato and Socrates and you know, all these different people throughout time who exhibit some form of wisdom. Um, and, and, and they're, they're revered for their sayings or, or their um, uh, or, or proverbs or whatever the case might be, such as with Solomon here. Now Solomon, uh, we think about the arguably the wisest man to ever live was Solomon. And so we look at Solomon here. If you're in First Kings chapter three, um, 
Verse 7, it says, O Lord, now Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I am a little child. So this is Solomon talking here. And, and he's praying, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? And this speech pleased the Lord, verse 10, that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said to him, Because you have asked this thing and you have not asked long life, for yourself, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart. So, and I thought th- this part in verse 13 at the end is, so that there has been none, any, so there's not been anyone like you before, nor shall any like you arise after you. So, again, God uses there's none before, there's none after. These are absolute words. There, there shall be none. So I guess from that perspective, um, I would look at Solomon to be probably the wisest person to ever live and will ever live on the face of the earth. Um, and, and you look at this and, and you say, uh, you know, from a human perspective, Solomon was granted this wisdom. Now, this wisdom that Solomon was given uh, was only as good as his rest and reliance on God. And I have also given you, verse 13, what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the king of all your days. So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. So that's kind of the, the, the sum total here of, of what Solomon was given as far as wisdom and understanding. And we know ultimately what happens with Solomon. His reign begins began faithful, but ultimately faded. Um, he ultimately lapsed. Um, if you turn to, you don't have to turn there, but First Kings uh, chapter 11, if, if you would like to, uh, looks at what happens towards the end of his reign. And ultimately, S- Solomon turns his back on God. He, he ushers in uh, many foreign women. He, these foreign women turn his heart. Uh, he sets up idols. And um, verse 9, it says, So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel. And ultimately, these failures, um, uh, verse 11, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. So ultimately, this, these failures of Solomon led to the, the ultimate divided kingdom. And uh, you know, we, we, we see where that goes from there. So I guess the perspective that, that I wanted to see as we, we get into the, uh, the lesson today about God's wisdom and, and Solomon, the, the wisest man to ever live, ultimately... It left him, and he, he lost that because of his turning his back on the Lord or, or, or his heart was turned away from the Lord God of Israel. And so as we look at uh, the ability to uh, take in whatever portion of God's wisdom that we can take in via the, the operation of the Holy Spirit through us, ultimately that has to come from us yielding and relying on the Holy Spirit. And that's, that's what I wanted to just kind of get into as we kind of framed our lesson here t- this morning. So um, it just, uh, I guess, as, as we get started, we, I like to always define the terms of wisdom. Now, wisdom was kind of an interesting definition. You think about wisdom and, and, and even comparing wisdom to um, uh, the knowledge of God. God is Okay, so God is uh, God's wisdom and God's omniscience are really, you know, you think about the wisdom of God. I was talking to, to Dave Sanderson about this, and, and it, it really kind of comes through, God's wisdom kind of comes through in all of his attributes, really. And you think about wisdom, the definition of wisdom is, is a little very different than knowledge. You think about knowledge, when we did that lesson on omniscience, uh, the fact that God is all-knowing, he knows everything. And again, that's a unique characteristic to God. Not everybody knows everything. We have, um, yeah, I'm going to pick on my kids. I'm like, if any of you have a teenager, you, think, you must think you've got people that know everything because that's kind of how it works in, in your household, right? If you have any teens, you, you, you might think you have some, some people that know everything. But, but the reality is, is not, there's not one single person that knows everything. So if you look at 
from that standpoint of knowledge, you, you take a look at wisdom here. And so I just some different definitions of, of, of wisdom, and, and I'm just not really sure which one is best, but there's all some different definitions, so I'm just going to throw them out there. The first one is the quality of being wise, knowledge and the capacity to make proper use of it. So that you, you kind of see the, 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 the difference here between wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge of the best ends and the best means, discernment and judgment. Knowledge of the best ends and the best means, discernment and judgment, or discretion is another word for knowledge. How about the appropriate application of knowledge? So these are all different definitions of wisdom. The ability to judge correctly and to follow the best course of action based on knowledge and understanding. So this idea of wisdom is is you would take knowledge and make the best use of of that knowledge. So the idea here is that wisdom is not just having knowledge or having this information or having this data set or whatever, but it's using that information or knowledge appropriately. Uh, it's the, the ability to work with that information, work with that knowledge to accomplish the right purpose with that information and with that knowledge. So that's the idea here of wisdom. So somebody may be um, you know, just even take a, an example of somebody might be knowledgeable enough to just a simple human perspective answer. You, 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 you make the, the comparison of, of book smart versus street smart. So somebody might have a lot of knowledge to know to not go out in the middle of a, a, a thunderstorm with lightning and hold up a metal, metal rod. You know, they, they might understand that, but it, I guess it would take the wisdom to, to not walk out there and do it or, or whatever the case might be. You know, I mean, so I guess that's the, that's the understanding there uh, or kind of the difference. Tozer has a quote that says, wisdom is the ability to devise perfect ends and to achieve those ends by the most perfect means. It sees the end from the beginning, so there can be no need to guess or conjecture. Wisdom sees everything in focus. And I just like the fact that that wisdom and ultimately God's perfect wisdom sees everything in focus. And we look at this quote from Spurgeon here. It says, wisdom is the right use of knowledge. Pretty simple quote, but I think it really encapsulates it. Uh, perfectly, if you take a look at that. Wisdom is the right or correct use of knowledge, and knowledge is knowing what to say, and wisdom is knowing when to say it. And we can all uh, probably uh, use that as, as an example of, of you know, when, we, when we put our foot in our mouths, right? Um, the, we, we've, all, we've all done that. Uh, if you're married, you've done it more than once. I can guarantee you that. But, you know, the knowledge is, is, is knowing what to say, but wisdom is knowing when to say it from that perspective. So um, I, I guess that's just kind of the big picture look at wisdom and what is God's wisdom if we take a look at it here. So, so let's look at some biblical truths about God's wisdom here. So let's first turn to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And the first one is God's wisdom is tied to his eternal purpose. And what is God's eternal purpose? Well, ultimately, in Ephesians chapter 1, provides a little glimpse into that. Ephesians chapter 1, we'll start in verse 7. All right, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. We'll just read the passage here, and then uh, we'll, we'll just kind of take a look at it. Ephesians 1, 7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to the, his good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. We'll stop there. The eternal purpose of God is ultimately to glorify him. 
Everything he orchestrates, everything he lines up, all of his creation points to his glory. Um, And again, we can look at, I think I might have used this passage talking about the sovereignty of God as well, too. Again, it's hard to get away from the the different attributes of God as you you compare um, a a different passage or, or, or... working on his attribute of wisdom, it's ultimately tied to his sovereignty. It's tied to his omniscience. It's tied to his omnipresence and, or omnipotence, and we'll see that a little later. So God's wisdom is tied to his purpose. In verse 10, it says that he might gather together all things in Christ, in his purpose, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. And this is done how? Verse 12, it says to the praise of his glory. Who first trusted in Christ, so ultimately to be to the praise of his glory. So God's eternal purpose is to glorify himself. All of his creation points of his glory. Ultimately, our purpose should be to reflect the love of Christ, to glorify Jesus Christ. And God's wisdom doesn't operate outside of that purpose. Everything that God does in his wisdom points to That singular purpose to glorify him. What's another verse that we look at here? Romans 11.33. It says, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor, or who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him? The answer is no one, right? For... Of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. So that's the idea here, is everything that God puts together, everything that God designs is ultimately orchestrated by him and it's orchestrated for, and it's done with his glory in in mind. So we think about that perspective and you think about the wisdom of God and you think about maybe a situation that, um, that you might be going through, uh, a, a trial, a specific problem, a specific uh, concern. Um, God's wisdom doesn't mean that we're not going to have trials, right? It doesn't mean that we're not going to have some problems. There's a, it's a guarantee that we are going to have problems, and each and every, I don't even need a show of hands. Um, you know, I, we, could all, we, we could all have a, a, a time of talking about all of our individual problems, right? Um, I, I, I know we could. Um, we all have different problems. We all have different issues. And, um, but the reality is, is what, what, and I've been so convicted by thinking about this, or just, just about God's wisdom, that having that wisdom or, or drawing from, on the strength that, that the, the, um, the, the, the word of God that God gives to us, the Bible, and, and just different promises in the Bible, allows us to, to put those problems into the proper focus, right? And, it's, and that's God's wisdom that he, whatever amount of that that we can um, uh, attain or, 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 or draw strength from as we look at the different promises in the word of God, um, he gives us the proper means and the proper focus to deal with those problems. And so we think about this, that all of God's acts are done in perfect wisdom and ultimately for his glory. So God's wisdom is tied to his eternal purpose. And that eternal purpose is to glorify him. And so you think about God's planning, uh, God's orchestration, his sovereignty. Again, this points to his sovereignty as well, too. Um, It's tied to his eternal purpose here. So what's the second point here? So that it's tied to his eternal purpose. God's wisdom is unique. And that was the title of our lesson here, the only wise God. In 1 Timothy 1.17, I'll put that verse up there. Now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And we could, we could sing that song. It's hard not to just say that verse without having that song go off in my head that I used to sing as, as a youngster. Um, I suppose I should have just sang it right here. Gus would have. I know he would have. Romans 16.27 um, says, To God only 
wise. Be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. To God only wise. The only wise God, as we look at here. Now, God's unique wisdom allows him to have the perfect balance of his infinite attributes. And this is something that I, I was... Uh, I, I was putting together, and, and you, you think about this, and, and it, was, it was interesting. Uh, one, one of the first points that I had on this was the perfect balance of his love. and ju- So we think about his attributes here as we take a look at his attributes. And we have his attributes of love and righteousness and justice. And, I, and I've talked about this before, uh, the fact that there is this amazing balance that we that we can't even understand. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it. Dave Santrum sent me something last night. Uh, and uh, I, I thought it was really good. I was kind of reviewing it last night. And it said, because he, he words things way better than I do, but it says, only wisdom, the wisdom of God, could figure out how to satisfy the righteousness and justice of God without injuring the love and mercy of God. So I, I thought that was just a neat way to phrase that. Um, I definitely didn't have it phrased that, that nicely. But the idea is, is his love has this he has this amazing love for us right he loved us so much that he sent his only son to die on the cross for our sins so what do we know about us we know that all have sinned and come short of the glory of god right we're all sinners it, it says that in romans it says that uh, there's none righteous no not one all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags um, so god knows that but god is a perfectly righteous and he's a just god and so because of that fact is uh, he cannot have fellowship with sin. So if we look at this here, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to try to do this here. I've not had the greatest luck with the, the overhead, but we'll give it a shot here. So we have Romans 6.23. And we have, for the, we have the, for the wages of sin is what? Death right here, right? So we have Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. And then what do we have but the gift of God? So we have God over here, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But the gift of God is what? Eternal life. And eternal life is a gift, right? That's supposed to be a bow. There you go. Eternal life is a gift. So we have this idea here that the gift of God is eternal life. So we have this perspective that God in his perfect righteousness and his justice says, what? There has to be a penalty. There's wages. There has to be a penalty for sin. There has to be a penalty. God can't waver on that fact. So we're all sinners, and there has to be a penalty for that sin. And that penalty is what? It's death. But now God is a loving God. And he says, he's not willing that any should perish. So what does he do? He says, I'm going to send my son, Jesus Christ, to die on that cross. And that's a gift. That's a free gift. And by by that gift, in his death, burial, and resurrection on our behalf, now we we have a path. We, We have a pathway to eternal life. And ultimately, with a gift, what do you have to do? You have to take it, right? You have to accept that gift. So, so there is a response by us that needs to happen. And that response is, we need to believe it, right? For God so loved that world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So you have this amazing balance that only God in his unique wisdom could put together of this righteousness and justice offsetting this love. I, I don't even know how to explain it. I mean, it's, it's amazing. I, I, loved, I loved Dave's wording on that without injuring his love and mercy. So I, I just thought that that was really good. I thank Dave for that, sending that over. Um, but ultimately, we take a look at this in his wisdom he orchestrated this perfect plan of salvation. Now, what's, what's our response? We're to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to accept that gift. We need to take that gift. I had a daughter that just had a birthday um, 
13. My youngest is a teenager. So there you go. Um, make, makes you feel a little old. So, but she just had a gift. We, we, had, we had gifts for her. She took those gifts. She accepted those gifts. And, you know, she doesn't just look at the gift and ignore it and not open it, right? She, to, for her to realize what the gift is, she has to take it and accept it. And that's, that's what, you know, Romans 6.23 talks about. Um, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. How? Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we have to accept that gift. We have to take that gift. We have to believe it. There's nothing other than that death, burial, and resurrection on our behalf that to believe that, to accept it, and say, yeah, that's what's getting me to heaven. It's, it's nothing that I'm bringing to the table. Um, anytime you do that, you've perverted the gospel. You've perverted the, 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 you've perverted the idea of a free gift. If you feel like you need to add something to it, and that's the most important thing, uh, is, is we need to, if, if you're here today and you have not accepted Christ as your personal Savior, I would encourage you to really give that some thought because ultimately it's, it's, the, it's the best decision you could ever make. Um, and why, why, would, why would God have sent his only begotten son down to earth to die? Why, why would he have done it? Um, it's it's uh, ultimately if we accept that, perfect gift, we become a part of God's family. And we don't, we don't lose that. It, it's, a, it's eternal security. We're, we are, um, we will never lose our salvation. And, and that's, a, that's a great, um, great promise of God that there's uh, that passage in John 10 where I and my father, that once we're put in the, the son's hand, the father puts his hand around us. And, and that, that was a very important principle in John 10 for me, having that um, understanding of just eternal security and just realizing that, that, that that's something I could never get out of uh, the hand of God. And, and I just I very think fondly on that verse as I, as I remember when I got saved as a youngster. So um, ultimately, we look at God's unique plan and his plan of salvation here. Only the unmatched, unique wisdom of God can orchestrate that perfect balance between his attributes. And what is some of that other balance between his attributes? Turn in your Bibles to Daniel, Daniel chapter 2. We're going Old Testament, New Testament. We're getting you all around here this morning. Daniel chapter 2. Um, we look at talk about Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. So in, in the first part of Daniel chapter 2, we'll go to verse 19 is where we'll start. But the first part of it is, is Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar has a vision, has a, has a dream, and, uh, and he calls on all the wise men and, uh, to, to try to interpret those dreams. And, and nobody can uh, get these dreams figured out. And uh, so what's he going to do in verse 14? He says, that's it. None of these guys can figure it out. Let's get rid of them. We're going to whack them all. I, I've, I've had it. And, uh, but in Daniel, then, uh, uh, and Daniel was, was considered one, one of the, um, the, the, the people that would provide counsel. And, and uh, he, he, basic, or, he, he basically said, you know, give me some time. And, uh, you know, I'm going I'm to pray to the Lord. And, and uh, verse 19, it says, then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. So ultimately, uh, Daniel is glorifying God, or he's pointing to God and says, Wisdom and might are yours. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and he reveals deep and secret things and knows what is in the darkness. And light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might, and now and have now made known to you, to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's demand. So ultimately, what happens here? is uh, we see this uh, balance, again, of wisdom in omnipotence, in uh, this wisdom and might. We see also a balance of wisdom in omniscience here. Um, he reveals the deep and secret things and knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells in him. So we have this idea of wisdom and omniscience. So we see these attributes kind of coming together in this perfect balance of these attributes and, and the uniqueness of God's wisdom here. Um, what ultimately happens? Well, 
he's able to interpret the dreams. And uh, you read further in the chapter. At the end of the chapter, verse 48 says, And the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon, and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel petitioned the king and set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the fairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat at the gate of the king. So ultimately, God works out a plan. He orchestrates a plan. And uh, when you, know, you look at Daniel giving reverence uh, to God, and uh, God in that plan sets Daniel in this position. So ultimately, all these, th- this, all these things work together. God knows all things. He's a God of all wisdom. He knows the best choices uh, and has the best choices planned out uh, for his outworking, the outworking or, or the execution of his plan. His way is best. Uh, what's another verse that we talk about here? Uh, Acts fifteen eighteen. known to God from eternity are all his works. So his wisdom is unique in that it rearranges people. It rearranges nations, it, uh, situations. But uh, I talked about it at the start of my message. God is big picture. We, we talk about this, you know, this idea of like a 10,000-foot view or a 20,000-foot view. You're, you're kind of looking down at the big picture. But God is also, and he's a God of order, but he's also a detailed God. Our God, my God, is concerned about the smallest details in my life. And my God is a personal savior that desires a personal relationship with each and every one of us. Try to try to think about that when you're thinking about the attributes of God, that now God is a God who wants a personal relationship with each and every one of you, blows you away. Just It, it completely blows you away. I, I just can't believe it. God's wisdom is unique, orderly, big picture, but also very detailed. And uh, I need to be constantly reminded of that, and I am constantly reminded of that every day. It just some of, the, some of the things that happen, and you just you shake your head, and you just cannot believe that, uh, who am I, right? Who am I? Who are any of us? Uh, third point here. So we see that God's wisdom is tied to his eternal purpose. His wisdom is unique. He's the only wise God. His wisdom is evident. It says in I- Isaiah... 10.13, for he says, By the strength of my hand I have done it, and by my wisdom, for I am prudent. So God's wisdom is evident, and he continually demonstrates that wisdom, that infinite wisdom, in a bunch of different areas. The first one is in creation. So we saw in Psalm 104.24, uh, when we went, uh, when, we, when we did that, the passage on or when I've done passages uh, on creation out at camp, I, I use this this verse a lot. Psalm one hundred four twenty four. Oh Lord, how manifold are your works! In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. So we have this idea here that um, God, in His wisdom, created everything, and we can look at His creation, and uh, His creation is uh, is, is amazing. Um, Tozer says, an infinitely wise God must work in a manner not to be improved upon by finite creatures. I thought that was good that we think about God's creation and, and that it, it's, it's, uh, anything is not to be improved on by finite creatures. Um, how about in salvation? God's wisdom is evident in salvation. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians 1.18. We think about God's wisdom in salvation, is evident in salvation. 1 Corinthians 1, eighteen, And we'll read it, we'll read it in the New King James Version, and then I'm going to put it up in the, uh, the NLT as well, too, just because I think, uh, I just think, I was looking at that last night, and it was, it was a little bit more clear for me in the NLT, but um, we'll just read it here in, in 1 Corinthians 1, 18, it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring nothing, bring to nothing their understanding the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know. 
It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And I just wanted to... I want to put it up here in the NLT, and I was going to read the NLT to you, but I thought, and I will read it as well, but sometimes it's easier to, to see it here. I just like how it, how it words this a little bit better. It was easier for me uh, to, to understand, or it, it helped kind of clarify it for me. But verse 18 in the NLT says, The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave philosophers, scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. So God realizes what he's dealing with here. He realizes... uh, the, uh, the, 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 the bubble heads that he's dealing with here down on earth. You know? It's foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven. It's foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended, the, the Greeks, Gentiles say it's all nonsense. But to those who called, those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And I love this part. The foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. I just thought that that verse 25 really brought that a little bit more. I just really like that. Isn't that true? It, you know, apart from us resting and relying on the Holy Spirit, anytime we think we're doing something, you got it all wrong. You got it all wrong. We... God is, he's, he's working with a bunch, bunch of uh, uh, cracked pots here. Cracked pots, whatever you want to deal with, you know, whatever you want to say. But ultimately, if we're resting and relying on the Holy Spirit, um, we can, you know, we can accomplish something, right? We, we can, uh, the Lord can work through us. And, and uh, uh, be a testimony to others. Be, uh, be able to share the gospel. But it's, it's nothing that we're doing. It's ultimately us yielding, resting, relying on the Holy Spirit and letting him do the work. Get out of the way. Get out of the way. Um, some other biblical truths about God's wisdom here. We see his wisdom is evident. It's evident in creation. It's evident in salvation. It's evident in Jesus Christ. It says in Colossians 2.3, in whom, Jesus Christ refers back to verse 2 there, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So again, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Jesus Christ. It's also um, evident in the church. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3. It says, I'll just, I'll just read it here. It says, to me who am less than the least of all saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold or the many-sided wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers of the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So again, we see this, that God's wisdom is evident. It's wisdom in the creation, salvation in Jesus Christ. It's evident in the church. Um, it's evident in the ordering of life. God's wisdom we saw in the example of Daniel. We, see, we think about Joseph. You, th- you think about the example of Joseph. You know, all this stuff happened to Joseph, but what, what does it say at the end of Joseph? But God planned it for good. We see God's wisdom um, and the idea of that an infinitely wise God is ordering your life as well, too. Um, he's ordering your successes. He's ordering your failures. Um, you know, he doesn't orchestrate sin, uh, but we have a sin nature inside of us, right? The moment we become saved, our sin nature now becomes our old sin nature. It doesn't become our gone sin nature. It's still there. So um, we still have the capacity to sin, 
And, you know, it doesn't take that long to go through a day to figure out you still got your sin nature with you, right? So, um, ultimately, um, we still make decisions that get ourselves into trouble. And, um, but God is orchestrating all the details of our life. In his, in his wisdom, in his evident wisdom, it's all coming to, I, I guess, coming to fruition. Now, we might say, well, I don't really like that. Um, I don't really like what's happening to me. Well, the reality is, is we all go through trials. And, and we'll see that here um, in, in the next point as, as we, we look through biblical truths about God's wisdom. So God's wisdom was tied to his eternal purpose. It was evident, or it was unique. It was evident. And now the fourth one is God's wisdom is available to us, and I put in parentheses, and we need it, right? And we need it. How about turning to James? James chapter 1. Let's turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And we look at God's wisdom and its availability to us. All right, James 1. It says, verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. That verse always kind of makes me laugh. Like, why would we count it all joy when you fall into various trials? But you know what? It's the word of God, right? Count it all joy. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach. It will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. So I love that passage. He provides the wisdom for us to navigate through the trials. We're brought through trials ultimately to glorify him, right? Um, I don't count it all joy when I go through a trial. My first response is probably like most of your first responses is, why me, right? Why am I going through this, right? So I need to be constantly reminded about this, that God has a, a, a bigger plan. He has a, um, in his wisdom, he's orchestrated this plan for me. He's orchestrated this trial for me. He gives us the wisdom to navigate the pr- trial. Verse 5, it says, we're to ask of God, but we're to ask in faith with no doubting. I love that, with no doubting. Um, when we ask for it, don't ask for it. Say, well, God, I really, you know, God, I know you're going to take me through this trial. And, and uh, please give me the wisdom. And, and just, no, I love that idea of no doubting. I've been really convicted by that as I was, as I have that highlighted and underlined in my notes. No, capital N-O, with no doubting. Because how many times am I praying and I'm, you know, I don't really think this is going to work or whatever. You know, ask in faith and no doubting. Um, I, I thought that was, that was really encouraging. Even when we don't fully understand it. We don't understand the trials we go through. We think about Job, and you think about the trials that Job went through. Job twelve thirteen says, what did Job, it said, with him are wisdom and strength. He has counsel and understanding. With God are wisdom and strength. He has counsel and understanding. Now, we don't understand why we're going through these trials, but God is faithful to bring us through them, right? He's faithful, and he will bring us through these trials. Now, some of us might go through life thinking, or thinking a little bit, maybe praying a little bit, maybe planning a lot, right? How many of us try to plan things out, right? I, I, I kind of like to plan things out. Um, looking ahead that, okay, well, if this happens and this happens, kind of with our finite minds, we, we, we don't see the big picture. Um, trying to work things out in our own human wisdom. Um, but we need to set that aside. And we need to take in that infinite wisdom of God. We need to pray about things more. Give it to the Lord. Read the word of God, right? 
pick up the Word of God, and uh, when I close this morning, I'll take through some passages. I I don't I don't see a I don't know what time it is, so we'll 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 just have I don't have anything on me here, but it doesn't really matter. So I'm getting through this, so it doesn't really matter what time it is. So so I was going to use this stuff at the end to figure out where I was at time wise, but we'll just we'll just go with it here. So okay, so um, but the reality is, you pray about it. You give it to the Lord. You read the Word of God. I mean, these are the things that uh, you, we, we, we try to control the situations, right? And, 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 and I understand that you have to have some planning in life. I'm, I'm a planner. I like to plan things. I'm not just going to say, well, I don't know what I'm doing today. You know, I mean, we, we all have to, we, there has to be some mode of planning. But ultimately, we have to be flexible in uh, where the Lord's going to take us, right? Or, or what sort of a situation he's going to put us in or what sort of test or trial that he's going to put in front of us for that day. So um, the other verse here that I had is um, in Isaiah 42, 16. I thought this was good. It says, I will bring the blind by a way they did not know. So again, God's wisdom is available to us. He'll bring the blind by a way they did not know. I will lead them in paths they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked places straight. These things I will do for them and not forsake them. So these are promises that God gives to us. And, uh, you know, probably the biggest thing that I would say, and I try to do this with with all of my messages, is uh, use verses. um, Because the reality is, is um, God's word doesn't return void. Um, My words hopefully return void for you guys, because I don't want you putting any faith in my words. Um, God's wisdom... The last point about God's wisdom is God's wisdom in the world's, or human wisdom, don't mix. It's like oil and water, right? God's wisdom, it's a personality clash, right? How many people have, have worked with, uh, no, I'm not going to ask for it, but how many, how many have worked with somebody where it's just, you work with this person, it's just a personality clash. You're just not going to mix. It just doesn't really matter. Uh, maybe, you're, maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's a family member. Who knows? Hopefully it's not your spouse, but, um, but it's a personality clash. Oil and water. God's wisdom, human wisdom don't mix. We're in James. Turn to chapter 3. James chapter 3, verse 13. I think I might even have it on here too. I do. James three thirteen. It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom, this human wisdom, does not descend from above. For, but it is earthly, it's sensual, it's demonic, devilish. It says devilish in, in other. Where, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. So what is the pr- production or what is the byproduct of human wisdom? confusion in every evil thing. But what does verse 17 say? But the wisdom that is from above, God's wisdom, is first pure, it's peaceable, it provides unity. Not strife, unity. It's gentle. It's considerate. It's willing to yield. It's submissive. It's full of mercy and of good fruits, Without partiality and without hypocrisy. God's wisdom is without hypocrisy. It's sincere. Um, that's, that's the difference, right? Human wisdom, these characteristics are envy, strife, self-seeking. Um, it's earthly. It's unnatural. or It's natural. It's unspiritual. That is human wisdom. But... God's divine wisdom is pure and peaceable and gentle and willing to yield and full of mercy without hypocrisy, without partiality. We have access to that wisdom. We have access to God's wisdom in verse 17 via the Holy Spirit's direction in and through us. And that's, it's, it's as simple as that. Um, so you think about this and think about the practical instructions for us. Passages and Proverbs to ponder. I like that. I thought that was kind of cool. Worked on that one. Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. You, you could go through 
I could have put very mo- many more passages in Proverbs to ponder on here. But Proverbs 1.7. How about Proverbs 2, 1 and 7? It says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift your voice up for understanding, if you seek her as silver... If you search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God, for the Lord gives wisdom. The Lord gives wisdom. It's not anything that we're going to get by taking our own path. It's not anything that we're going to get by reading the works of Plato and Socrates and uh, uh, you name it, whatever the, the wise people of the world are. Um, the Lord gives wisdom. For out of his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk uprightly. Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. All your ways acknowledge him. He shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Human wisdom. Fear the Lord. Depart from evil. What happens? It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. So, again, there's... Oh, there's another passage here in Proverbs 4. Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her. She will preserve you. Love, love her and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. Exalt her and she will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her. Ultimately, this, this wisdom that we're talking about here is wrought from the Holy Spirit. We know that. It, it's, it's not something that we're going to produce in our own flesh. Um, I, I would say that, uh, you know, there's many other passages in Proverbs, if you, you look on, on wisdom, that was just the first four chapters that I had read and was, was going through a little bit. Um, conclusion. Truths about God's wisdom. God's wisdom is tied to his eternal purpose. His eternal purpose is, ultimately, the eternal purpose is to glorify him. And that's all tied to, to his wisdom and his plan. God's wisdom is what? It's unique. He's the only wise God. Be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. The only wise God. God's wisdom is evident. It's evident in his plan of salvation. God's wisdom is evident in his plan of creation. God's wisdom is evident in, in the church. His, his wisdom is evident in Jesus Christ, it says in Colossians 2.3. God's wisdom is available to us continually available to us. And we ask, we ask not wavering with no doubt, right? We ask in faith with no doubting, it says in James 1.5. God's wisdom and the world's wisdom don't mix. They're oil and water. So ultimately, we need to be looking at what the Lord has laid out for us through through the scriptures, um, by a rest and reliance on the Spirit of God, because that's the only avenue to true wisdom as we look at it. Uh, let's close in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we do thank you for your grace. We thank you for the fact that you are the only wise God. We thank you for the fact that you loved us so much that you sent your only Son to die on the cross. For our sins. And by faith and trust in his death, burial, and resurrection, we get to spend eternity with you. And what a great and precious promise that is. Um, we're thankful for each and every person here. We're thankful for just the opportunity to allow your word to speak to us this morning as we delve into some of the just really scratch the surface of what your wisdom is, Lord. There's many passages, there's many more passages. Uh, and but we're just so thankful for what you reveal to us this morning. We're just even pray for the day. Pray that uh, we should rejoice in it and and be glad in it. Now in your name we pray. Amen.